From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. With Labor Day behind us, it's the unofficial end of summer, and the state's climatologists are already looking ahead to the changing seasons. Will it mean more weather extremes like bomb cyclones? And what about the drought? Then it's a love story, caught up in conflict between state and federal law, which remain at odds over marijuana. And I was telling all my new work buddies all week, She's coming, there's this girl, and it's been this, and this has been the relationship, and it's so crazy, she's going to come up here, even for a week and a half, I can't wait for you all to meet her. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone's like, cool, awesome, so cool. So the day she comes, I, um, maybe a little hard talking about it. Anne Maria Watt explores the unexpected consequences of life after legalization. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Avery Lill. For the first time in recorded history in September, it hit 100 degrees in Denver Monday. Lamar was even hotter, 104 degrees. Keep in mind, the average high this time of year is about 84 degrees. With Labor Day behind us, summer unofficially ended this weekend. So should Colorado expect more extreme weather, be it hot or cold, in the months ahead? I'm joined by Colorado's assistant state climatologist, Becky Bollinger. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Becky, technically fall begins September 23rd, but as a climatologist, you consider fall is starting September 1st, which was Sunday. What's the weather outlook moving forward? So we have an outlook uh, from the NOAA's Climate Prediction Center They do a seasonal outlook every month. So their next seasonal outlook is for the September, October, November time period. And they're showing that there is a good chance for above average temperatures for all of our state and also a slightly increased chance for above average precipitation for the state. And do you believe that forecast for more precipitation? It's kind of tough to say because usually when you have hot temperatures, it's because you, uh, especially in the fall, you're kind of in that blocking ridge of high pressure, which is going to prevent precipitation events from occurring. I did look at the Climate Prediction Center's reasoning for the increased chance of above average precipitation over the Four Corners area and Southwest, Desert Southwest, and the reasoning they have that is because warmer uh, tropical Pacific ocean temperatures are possibly going to increase the tropical cyclone activity, which could bring extra moisture from the Southwest that would come up into our state. Um, That would primarily be in that September, maybe early October time period. I would say if we don't get anything like that, the likelihood is that we probably wouldn't have that extra precipitation and we might continue on this dry streak that that we've been experiencing. So uh, outside of some tropical cyclone activity, my gut instinct is with that hotter temperatures, uh, we're probably going to be a little bit drier than average. So warmer and wetter is an unusual pairing. Normally we'd see warmer and drier, but with the tropical yeah, weather. Yeah, it, it occasionally happens, but um, yeah, more often than not when, when you've got the, the ridge of high pressure over you and those consistently warmer temperatures like we've been having, 
we're not getting the precipitation and the fronts with it. I want to talk about that dry streak you mentioned. How did this summer do in terms of rain? Are we at risk of another drought? Yes, we are. And it's one of those, this is Colorado, par for the course. We can't stay completely drought-free for too long. We had a spectacular spring and a nice cool and wet start to summer. And then those hot temperatures came in. We did get some good thunderstorm activity. But the thing about thunderstorms is you don't know exactly when, what exact location they're going to fall over. So, Some areas miss out. We were hoping for a good, strong performance from the monsoon, uh, which typically starts uh, late July into August. And it's been, unfortunately, very underperforming. Uh, It's meant uh, very bad news for Arizona and New Mexico. And it's extending up here um, where we haven't gotten that precipitation that we really want to see uh, through late July and into August. And what that has meant is that we have um, seen drought kind of creep back up over the Four Corners area into our state. And southwest Colorado now shows uh, D1, which is moderate drought on the U.S. Drought Monitor. And are some parts of the state more vulnerable to others this year? You know, it that's always hard to say. There are different vulnerabilities. I would say that that one of the most vulnerable regions of our state right now is southwest Colorado because they were just in such a severe drought. So uh, they're still, so to speak, healing from that. And so to get this dryness uh, creep back in, um, they're a little more sensitive to that. So um, it could be bad news if, if we don't turn things around or if they don't start the snow season off right. Um, but we also have some vulnerabilities in southeast Colorado, uh, especially with the planting of winter wheat, which usually happens in late September and early October. You want some really well-timed precipitation events to uh, help kick that off. And if you don't, then they could be suffering next year. This prediction for fall, warmer, maybe wetter, it, it doesn't match up with my image of a cool breeze and crunching leaves. Is fall arriving later th- these days? Yeah, I, I am of the mindset, and I'm still kind of looking through the data, that it seems as though we're shifting the start of fall a little bit later. It is becoming increasingly common to have uh, warm Septembers, Uh, specifically for, I've been looking into the Denver area and up in Fort Collins where I am, at when does our first snow fall? And we used to have an occasional snow event occur in September. And the Denver area has not seen snow occur in September since 2000. So it's becoming more rare uh, to, to start those snow events and those cold events um, this early in the season. Think of last summer um, getting into September where we had so many 90-degree days. And then what we've seen for the, for, for the first three days of September this year is really indicative. We've had um, 18 stations break their all-time hottest September temperature in the last few days. Uh, yesterday, we had 13 stations break 100 degrees, and it's September. So we do define fall as starting September 1st and going through November 30th, 
But looking more at the data, it's kind of hard to to see that because September um, is really acting more like late summer. Now, I do want to look ahead a little bit to those cold days. We have to talk about what was just wacky weather last winter and spring, including those bomb cyclone storms. Will we see more of those? I think this is one of the reasons I love Colorado weather and Colorado climate is because you're just going to have that wacky weather. You don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point it's going to happen. Are we going to have another bomb cyclone this winter? Uh, the, the chances of that are probably pretty low. That was a very extreme event uh, in terms of the blizzard and the low pressure system that built up with that. But this is Colorado. We're not going to be a stranger to snow. We are still going to have snow events. The mountains are still going to get what they need for their ski season. Uh, the, the critical thing is, is when is it going to start? Um, but I see that we're probably going to have a, a couple of, of big snow events occur over the winter. We're probably going to get a deep cold snap or two uh, where you don't want to be outside for longer than 10 minutes. That's not really going to change anytime soon, even as we are seeing these changes in in late summer and early fall. Let's talk about winter and El Nino. That's a weather, weather pattern that's based on ocean temperatures near the equator, but it has been known a few times to drop some big blizzards on Colorado. There isn't an El Nino this year. What does that mean for our weather? It's a tough one. It's more you're going to kind of roll the dice because our, our climate models that look at the seasonal prediction really rely on those ocean temperatures to decide what's going to happen over our country. So when we have an El Nino, that shifts it in a certain direction. And when we have a La Nina, that shifts it in another direction. But when we're in neutral conditions like we are now, we're likely not going to see an El Nino or a La Nina going into winter. It makes it a little bit harder to know which way things are going to go. So we're kind of at the mercy of, of what decide, what is going to drive our weather as we move into fall and winter. And uh, the Climate Prediction Center put out their prediction based on what a lot of their um, models are showing and agreeing on. Um, but without that El Nino or La Nina, it does get a little more difficult to say. Becky, thank you for joining us today. Yes, no problem. Thank you for having me. Becky Bollinger is Colorado's assistant state climatologist. She's based on the campus of CSU in Fort Collins. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. It can be easy to take marijuana for granted in Colorado. It's a part of life for many people. And even if it's not, it can still have an impact when you least expect it. That's what one couple found out the hard way when they stopped just once at a cannabis store in Boulder. What happened next is a wake-up call about where local and federal laws intersect. Anne-Maria Wad explores this in the latest episode of On Something, the podcast from CPR News about life after legalization. Here's the story of Neil and Paola. Okay, well, my, my name is Paola. I'm 30 years old, and right now I'm an engineer. I work in a mining company. My name is Neil Bernblatt. I'm 32 years old. I do video production. 
and was working my first big video production job for a while and got a little uh, antsy and, and quit so that I could go travel and wanted to go travel around South America. So I did. I was traveling with three other friends. We went to Ecuador to, for holiday vacations. And in February 2012, I had just crossed from Colombia into Ecuador uh, without ever having planned to do that. I, I wasn't supposed to, and just circumstances happened where I found myself there. Uh, it, it was the Amazon jungle. Everything there was green, very beautiful, with a lot of animals, very wild, you know. There wasn't, like, any house or something around, just a little village. <laughs> next, I'm there for a day, and next day, these um, four girls come in, and that's where I met Paula. I remember that he was in a hammock, and he was, like, chilling, you know, and uh, the guide of our tour told us that he was Neil, and my English there wasn't that good, so I understood Neil. <laughs> I saw these Chilean girls come in, and I just, like, magnetized that way. I, like, gravitated. I was like, no, I want to hang out with them. <laughs> and... I think I noticed Paula at first, but I don't think we were, like, immediately talking to each other a lot. It happened because at the end of the trip, I asked if I could continue traveling with them, and they said yes. And that was probably an attempt to just stay close to Paula. <laughs> I remember we learned to surf together in Ecuador. We cooked a lot together. We tried different food. The way someone looks at you. You know, sort of the feeling you get behind someone's eyes. And she smiled a lot. I hope she still does. <laughs> yeah, her like her default face is a smile. And that's really nice. When you ask, how did you break a communication barrier? I would remember that that had a lot to do with it. This is a love story. And you are listening to On Something. I'm Anne-Marie Awad. On this podcast, we tell stories about life after legalization, especially those times when marijuana is still very, very illegal for certain people. I swear, I promise you, there is a legalization story in here somewhere. Just listen. Neil is from the States, and he was visiting Ecuador on this backpacking trip. At the same time, Paula from Chile was visiting Ecuador on vacation with her friends. And Paula and Neil are both staying at the same lodge, and there's this immediate kind of spark. But things didn't go too far. On that trip, Paula and I had almost kissed, but she was seeing someone and I knew that, so I stopped it and said, hey, this, this isn't a good idea. I had a relationship of eight years. It was a long relationship, and suddenly I met a guy from the U.S. We call them gringos. I met a crazy gringo traveling alone in South America. 
In addition to his video work, Neil also makes music on the side. And during this whole backpacking odyssey through South America, he found something just irresistible about Andean music, which he had never really heard before. Back home in the States, he had this incredible itch to make some Andean-inspired music of his own. This music, actually. And it was also like a desperate cry to Paula. It was like, listen to me, kind of thing. After a few months of radio silence, Neil sent a whole album of music to Paula. (laughs) I think I cried. I don't remember. I think it was a breaking point of my life. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. That helped to start talking again with Neil. And with that, I decided to end my relationship. The two started talking almost every day. Both of them phrase it this funny way. We just couldn't stop talking. And soon they were visiting each other's home countries and traveling together. In 2014, Neil was still living in his hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. Paula came to visit that fall. It was her first time in the U.S. And she spent Thanksgiving with his family. We had, I mean, we had this like incredible time. You can attribute that to it being like a honeymoon period, and maybe it was, but we just like, it was just so good. Um, you know, she met my family, and my, my family loved her. She obviously hadn't done a Thanksgiving, and so it was just fun to make a turkey together. But when he came here, my mom didn't like him a lot. <laughs> Because my mom is, I don't know, like a typical mom in South America. She's Catholic, she's very structured, she is very traditional. And suddenly I came with a guy from another country, another religion, another culture, another everything. So she wasn't used to people like Neil. The following year, Neil decided to move. He had grown up in Memphis, but he was ready for a change. He got a job here in Denver and planned to take this big, long road trip across the country with Paolo. They drove across Texas, stopping to visit some of Neil's family. We camped in New New Mexico, and finally we arrived to Colorado. It was 2015. Neil signed a short-term lease for an apartment near Boulder, and Paola stayed with him to help him get set up. One afternoon, they were out shopping along this big pedestrian mall that has all of these boutiques and restaurants. We probably were just walking around one day over in Pearl Street in Boulder, because that's where it was, and said, oh, my God, like, we got, obviously, we got to go in there. Like, it's so unusual. And we saw the marijuana dispensary. And we said, wow, that's interesting. I'm not used to see these kind of things. Let's get in. The only thing I really remember because it's significant to the story is them asking for IDs. And so obviously mine was a normal thing. But when we asked, oh, Paula has her passport. Is that okay? 
the answer was absolutely. Yes. Let's see your passport. And then they would, whatever they did, take a picture, scan it or something like that. After that, we get into the marijuana dispensary. And there were a lot of things there, a lot of books, a lot of information, and also a lot of wheat. <laughs> and we saw different kind of marijuana and, I don't know, eatables. We were both smiling and looking at different things. I think, I mean, I was still amazed, and she was too, at the variety of, of different things you could get. You know, look at that. That's ridiculous. Oh, my God. Like, are they really doing that, too? Um, I totally need to appreciate, too, that this is like 2015 we're talking about. I mean, at this point, like, like dispensaries have only been a thing for about a year. I mean, recreational exactly. dispensaries. Okay. And so, you know, you have to appreciate that as, a, as an American citizen, but then take someone from another country who's coming in who may or may not have smoked much weed at all in her life seeing a very professional and clean store with lots of products that offer different types of marijuana in different forms and functions and things like that. Do you remember what you ended up getting from the dispensary? When we got there? Yeah. I think it was uh, a bubble gum. Okay, neither of them quite remembers exactly what they bought, but they just remember buying edibles something sweet yeah i think we uh we got a couple cookies like a couple edibles because that's fun they had a little sample that day and then they saved the rest for camping later on car camping but shortly after they ate the cookies or whatever they were it started to rain so we were like trying to set up as fast as we could before it hit because we knew it would be impossible afterwards because we're, we're, you know, we laugh. And then we start to hear thunder. Oh, no. And then the thunder starts to grow stronger. And then the lightning comes. And Paula and I just kind of look at each other and go, no, 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 no. So then the next, the next like, task was to take it all down as fast as we could before we got super high and put it back in the car and we were just going to sleep in the car because there's no way oh my God. we were going to get drenched as much as we were super stoned in the middle of I don't remember where so we, we packed everything up and packed everything up and cooked as fast as we could and then we got in the car and it hit right there and we you know laughed at a thunderstorm nice. <laughs> that's what we did Paula's visit lasted about three months and things were going great. They were making plans for her to come live in the U.S. She applied to graduate school to get a master's degree and a student visa that would allow her to stay here for a while. And around that time, Neil got his dream job at GoPro, the company that makes those video cameras. He moved to California with plans for Paola to come along. And I started working there, and it, it Every day, it was more of a dream job than the day before. Wow. Yeah. How soon does she come up to see you in California? Only a couple weeks in. I decided to go and see Neil. And that was when everything happened. In October of 2015, Paula flew from Chile to California. And the plan was she was going to fly to L.A., and then I bought her a mega bus ticket from L.A. to San Jose, I think. And then I'd go pick her up after work. 
And I was telling all my new work buddies all week, she's coming, there's this girl, and it's been this, and this has been the relationship, and it's so crazy, she's going to come up here, even for a week and a half, I can't wait for you all to meet her. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone's like, cool, awesome, so cool. So the day she comes, I, um, maybe a little hard talking about it. Someone told me that I had to make another line, a special line to check my things, okay? Getting off the plane at LAX, Paula ran into a snag at customs. Had this ever happened to you before? No, first time. First time. Okay. I think it's random, I don't know, but they choose some people in order to review them a little bit better. Okay. That was when... An officer uh, took my phone and checked everything inside of my phone. So this customs agent has your phone, and they're looking through it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is this interaction like? Like, I don't know how I would behave if somebody just took my phone and was searching it. I just asked him, can you do that? And he said, yes, I I, I have the right to do this. And I say, okay, <laughs> uh, you're, you're in a situation that you cannot do a lot, you know? So, mm-hmm. And I wasn't afraid of hiding something, you know? I was, I was relaxed because I knew that I'm, I'm not a criminal, I'm not a traffic person, I don't know. I'm just a normal person. Right. So he starts going through your phone. And does he start asking you questions? Well, he asked me a lot about my last trips to the U.S. Mm -hmm. So he was very interested about the pictures of Colorado, Memphis, and all the places that I've been before. Mm -hmm. And that's how he he started to look at the pictures from Colorado. Uh, And he discovered the pictures of the marijuana dispensary. Paula had pictures on her phone from inside the marijuana dispensary. You know, the one that she and Neil had gone to months before. After that came lots and lots of questions. When the questions wrapped up, Paula was led to a private room, patted down, and then led to another common room with a bunch of other people who were just waiting. I remember that I started to talk with a girl from France, Then she told me, if you are here, you will probably not going to enter to the U.S. That's when I realized that I was in serious, serious trouble. I'm getting ready to leave and I get a call. And it's Paula. And she's in tears. And she says... They're sending me home. They're kicking me out. They're not letting me in, ever. And I said, you're joking. (laughs) What's going on? Paula had some choices. She could wait for her case to go to trial, which could take days or months. Meanwhile, she would have to sit in detention, waiting. The other option was to wait five years. Accepting a five-year ban would immediately revoke her visa and get her sent back home. And then 
she could try to re-enter the country after the five years was up. Then there was a waiver, which basically forfeits a person's right to enter the country at all. It's, in effect, a lifetime ban, unless you can convince immigration authorities that you should be readmitted. Paola thought maybe she could convince them to let her back in in less than five years. That's why I, I, I choose the waiver. And she just starts bursting into tears. And she says, no, you don't understand. I can't come. I'm in Los Angeles and they're sending me home. And I, th then I realize she's serious and I go, what? I mean, at any point is somebody explaining to you exactly what you've done wrong? Yes, I try marijuana in a place which is not legal for immigrants. That was my mistake. All of a sudden, the officer starts talking. So a customs official got on the phone with Neil. And she says, for this reason and that reason, Paul has been deemed inadmissible to the United States and will be returned to her country. And so I started begging and saying, no, 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 no. What, what's going on? Okay, I'm going to interject here because you, the listener, are probably wondering the same thing. What was going on? Paula had an edible months before this happened in Colorado, a state where recreational marijuana is legal. To sort this out for us, I spoke with Joel Warner. Joel is a journalist and writer based here in Denver, and he wrote about Paula and Neil in 2016. Since then, Joel has continued to do a lot of reporting on marijuana legalization and immigration and where the twain meet. Since legalization, do you have any sense of how often something like this has happened, where people get deported or denied entry or denied green cards because of either using legal weed, working in the weed industry, what have you? For starters, between 2007 and 2012, according to Human Rights Watch, approximately 50,000 people were deported from the United States because of cannabis-based offenses. Just cannabis? Yes. Wow. Did she break a law to get her sent back to Chile? Um, according to Colorado and an increasing number of states, she did not break any laws. Mm -hmm. She went to an officially licensed dispensary that has allowed to sell cannabis to anyone over the age of 21, yeah. whether they are U.S. citizens or not. Um, so according to state law, yeah. she didn't break any laws. Now, according to federal law, you know, she consumed a Schedule One substance. Mm -hmm. And according to uh, immigration kind of rules and laws, anyone who commits a substance abuse offense, that is considered a deportable offense. So this did not require Paola to be, like, picked up by police and arrested, right? Like, no. Because, to have a criminal record. Yes, because especially now, the law says something else. Immigration law says something else. Mm -hmm. um, if you are entering the country or if you are speaking with an immigration official and you admit to, just admit to, committing a cannabis-related offense or admit to planning to commit 
Yeah, you have to be suspected, right? Or you just have to say, yes, I'm a Canadian citizen. I'm going to Washington State to go to the Dave Matthews concert, and I'm going to stop by the dispensary right over the border that literally advertises itself to foreigners, to Canadians, and I'm going to purchase some cannabis. If you tell an immigration official this at the border, they can say, well, we have just deemed you inadmissible for yeah. life. Yeah. It's, it's that term, right? It's admissible versus inadmissible? Yes. It's not necessarily like criminal versus non-criminal, right? No. Because it's such a like, vague term. Mm-hmm. It just basically says, like, immigration officials have, it seems like they have a lot of leeway. Well, I think also part of what's at play here, too, is that the way that, um, back dating back to, like, the Clinton administration, the way that we treat immigrants is that we kind of hold them at a higher standard than American citizens, right? So it's like how you and I can go consume legal weed all willy-nilly and it's fine, right? But if my friend is a green card holder, right, and they're doing everything they can to come here legally and become a citizen legally, like, one harmless doobie can basically derail all of that. Yes. And they don't even have to be arrested or tried in a court of law or anything like that. They don't even have to smoke that doobie. They don't even They just have to have buy to, it. They don't even have to buy it. They all they have to do is say I am planning to go to Colorado and purchase something from one of the dispensaries there. Let's get back to Paula and her dilemma in LAX airport. She had just made the very hard decision to accept a lifetime ban from the U.S. And she had just hung up the phone after telling all of this to Neil, who was still at work. And he started to panic and went to his boss. And the second we sat down, I just started crying. And boy, in the tears. (laughs) And I told him. And he... Uh, he said, get on a plane. He said, get out of here. And I said, I can't. I just started this job. And it's, you know, it's my dream job. And I can't do that. And he said, don't, don't worry. It's, it's not going to affect anything. This is crazy. And he said, just get on a plane. So I left. <laughs> Wow. I, uh, I, um, so he I didn't know. even hesitate. No. Wow. Not a second. Definitely it, it was the worst day of my life. So I was crying. I was I didn't know what to do or what will happen. All, all the opportunities and all the things that we were thinking, suddenly everything had to stop because of this. And I, I, I thought that I would never see Neil again. So I went home and took out a bag and just started throwing things in it. I didn't have a ticket. I didn't have time to find one. And I'm calling my parents and calling my best friend and saying, what happened? And I'm leaving. My mom going, no, 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 don't do that. You don't even know if she's left yet. And I said, I'm leaving. I have to go. I I didn't see the light of the sun or I was inside of the airport all the time. So... Mm. I, I didn't know if it was at night or at, in in the day. I, I don't remember. Yeah. The only thing I remembered is that they put some hand hand handcuffs handcuffs. Yes, uh, in my hands. You had to get on this plane uh, in handcuffs. No, but. 
from, from the common room to the plane, yes, I had to use the handcuffs. And I was with two officers, uh, and I was a kind of a shame <laughs> because everyone were looking at me like, what this girl did, you know, like, it, it, the LA airport is a huge place. Her parents don't know she's being detained by immigration, and she has no way to tell them. So I'm the only one who knows. I texted her mother. I texted her that we're figuring it out, and she's going to go home. I'm trying to figure out when. Right as I was boarding my plane to Chile, because I said, screw it, I'm going either way, I was a little surprised to get an actual phone call from Paula herself. Oh. This must have been 11 o'clock at night. And she said, they're letting me go home, it's happening. I'm getting out of here. You know, shaking, crying. The only thing I said was, good, I'll see you there. And she goes, what? (laughs) Neil was there in the airport, in the Santiago's airport. He, he arrived faster than me. That must have been a big surprise for you. <laughs> yes, I was very surprised because I thought that I would never see him again. And suddenly he appears with my mom <laughs> right next to him. <laughs> and I, I was like, what? Oh, my God, you're here. And I cried again. <laughs> and we gave each other a big hug. How did she look at that point? Was she exhausted? Yeah, she was exhausted. Oh, man. And sad. But happy to see me. They explore Paula's legal options, and she saves up some money to hire a lawyer. But the whole ordeal already starts to create tension between the two of them. Her conclusion was, I'm not going to do it now, but you need to move down here now. And how did that sound to you? Terrifying. Neil had his, like, dreaming job in San Francisco with GoPro, and he was having a lot of fun there. He had a good situation. All his family and friends were there. Uh, At that time, his brother just got cancer, so he was very concerned about that. And I I couldn't go there. Some people might think that this story is a consequence of the Trump administration's policies. But as Joel Warner points out, this story began while Obama was president. This is not a Trump versus Obama thing. In some ways, we really saw the uptick in uh, folks being deported for drug-related offenses, including cannabis offenses, during the Obama administration. And that is because of the Secure Communities Initiative, which started even before Obama's presidency, that allowed immigration officials to have so much more access to local fingerprint data. So they could all of a sudden access a lot more information about these low-level drug crimes, and they used it uh, to deport a lot more people for drug offenses. I think according to Human Rights Watch, between 2007 and 2012, Drug possession-related uh, deportations increased 43%. Whoa. So that was under the Obama administration. That's crazy. Now, having said that, it's not as if the Trump administration is backing off from, from these policies. She 
She and I had so many phone calls about it that it ended up in tears on both sides. And one of them just burns in my head. And I remember on the phone, on my little my little um, tech bus going back to my apartment in San Francisco one day, talking quietly to her and her saying, no te vayas, ven, no te vayas, over and over in tears. No te vayas, it means don't leave. And ven means come here. Over and over, like, like hypnotically over and over again. I was like on fire. Like I, I, I was ripping apart and I think I just no. <laughs> and we hung up. But yeah, and it's that one burns. Earlier this year, Paula filed all of the paperwork with the U.S. Embassy in Santiago. And all of this paperwork included evidence of her application to the University of Colorado, letters of recommendation from her bosses, information about her job qualifications and her salary, drug tests, the results of a physical examination, all of this to prove that she should be readmitted to the U.S. on a tourist visa. And now... It's just a waiting game. All of this has played out alongside a general breakdown in communications between Neil and Paula. They could, after a certain point, no longer see eye to eye on the future of their relationship. And both of them said that before all of this happened, they never really used to argue. But afterwards... She hangs up and then she calls back and she says... I didn't tell you everything that I wanted to tell you. And now, now she's yelling. I've made that phone call. <laughs> <laughs> so she starts telling me this and that. And she says, you have no heart and hangs up. And that's the last time I talked to her. Do you think that's like for good? I think so. It's not the time to talk. And I think that we both need to have our lives we we had a lot of fun. We we were a, a really good couple, uh, but but now with this whole situation and this distance and impossible things that we have, uh, it's better to move on and and to have your life. Maybe it's over. Yeah, you know. Maybe we can finally start to move on. Maybe she's mad. Maybe I'm mad. Maybe sometimes you have to get angry. I'm scared that I'll never know what happened because maybe she's so angry, which I don't think she is, but maybe she is, that she'd never even tell me. We we love each other. I, I really love Neil a lot. He, he is the most important love in my life. So, of course, he's someone uh, difficult to forget and if I I talk with him every day I will never forget him <laughs> do you feel like this whole incident like drove a wedge between the two of you yes you didn't even hesitate to say that wow because <laughs> it's true 
<laughs> Paula is still waiting to hear from the U.S. Embassy. Remember, this decision, if it goes her way, only allows her to get a tourist visa. She says even if she and Neil aren't together anymore, being banned from the U.S. has created other problems for her, professionally. She's had to turn down work trips and has had to explain the ban to her employers. That's part of the reason that we're not using her last name in this episode. And if her application for a waiver is approved, it is a temporary waiver. She would have to do this all over again a few years down the road. Anne-Maria Wad and On Something, the podcast from CPR News about life after legalization. You can download this episode along with previous ones at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally today, a style of music called gypsy jazz, and you may recognize the tune. is German guitarist Yosho Stefan, and he headlines the Colorado Gypsy Jazz Festival on Friday at Swallow Hill Music in Denver. The event is a celebration of the jazz style pioneered by guitarist Django Reinhardt and violinist Stefan Grappelli in 1930s Paris. The term gypsy has fallen out of fashion over the years, but lives on in the musical genre. In 2017, we learned from Denver band leader Elliot Reed that Django Reinhardt actually came about creating the style on accident. He was just a gypsy that lived in a caravan outside of Paris and a musician, and he would go up in his gypsy camp and play everything, and then he would go and listen to music in Paris. And at that time, he started hearing the American jazz that was becoming popular all over the world. And so he and his friends, uh, in between other gigs, would get together and jam, and they would just play American jazz tunes. They were doing it with their instruments that they were using. So they were using acoustic guitars instead of drums, and they were using violin instead of saxophone, and stuff like that. And they pretty much accidentally created the genre of gypsy jazz. They were just gypsies and playing American jazz music, but it ended up having this whole different kind of sound. Jazz Festival will be hosted in Swallow Hill Music in Denver on Friday. Thanks for joining us on Colorado Matters. I'm Avery Lill. This is CPR News. CPR News.